0: This episode is brought to you by the top three of RuPaul's Drag Race Season 12. We love strong and fierce queens.
1: Welcome back, everyone, to my favorite Career Chemist. I'm your host, Becca.
0: And I'm Geraldo, and we are really excited for you all to hear from this week's guest. He's a rising role model in the chemistry field who's done incredible things during the start of his independent career.
1: So, With that, here's our show.
0: Welcome back everybody to my faith core chemist. I'm Geraldo.
1: And I'm Becca. And today we're so excited to introduce you to an incredible chemist and professor.
2: Would you mind introducing yourself? Hey everyone, um, I'm Song Lin. I'm an assistant professor at Cornell University. So my pronouns are he, him, his. I uh, received my bachelor's degree from uh, China. So I'm from China originally. So I attended uh, a Peking University for undergrad. And then uh, I came to the U.S. for my graduate studies. So I, I, I got my PhD uh, at Harvard University. So I worked with uh, Eric Jacobson, did organic synthesis, um, catalysis. And then I decided to move to uh, UC Berkeley to pursue my postdoc. So I did postdoc with Chris Chang. I mm-hmm. studied a sort of uh, inorganic chemistry and electrocatalysis there.
1: So first question, what do you love most about chemistry and what still excites you to this day?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think the color of chemistry is definitely very exciting always, but I mean, I think the part of chemistry that's that's really exciting to me is the fact that, you know, as a subject, it really allows us to you know, understand the underlying you know, mechanisms and principles of sort of the macroscopic real-life phenomena and really allows us to study it sort of on a molecular level. I think, you know, thinking about the possible mechanisms of chemical reactions, as well as, you know, trying to design reactions or experiments that can be used to probe, to study the mechanism, is definitely one of my favorite, favorite part of uh, chemistry research. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, so it all goes back to our desire to understand how things work. Right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah.
2: That's a good point.
0: Yeah.
1: There's like a huge foundation of curiosity and mm-hmm. imagination. That, I mean, I think that spans across all STEM fields and academia in general, but...
2: Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. I think that's definitely something that keeps me, I think it's, uh, you know, I always when I teach, uh, I'm actually teaching a, a organic chemistry class this semester, it's getting mm-hmm. challenging because we're doing it remotely, but what I tell my yeah. students is really, the the really interesting part of organic chemistry is uh, two things. One is that the ability to design uh, synthetic routes to access really complex molecules and essentially mm-hmm. anything you can draw, you can make in these days, but also to understand, you know, when you see something like when it's raining outside or when the, the flowers change color, be like, oh, hey, I actually know, you know, what's going on, right, mm-hmm. what's the, like her interactions, the reactions that are underlying these, these general observations, so that's really, definitely really exciting.
0: That's why we are both organic chemists, because we are very, yeah, we're, we're <laughs> very interested in how those, how those reactions, like, when you yeah. mix things and things happen.
1: Yeah, there's like, <laughs> awesome. I mean, I think, especially during this quarantine, we've both definitely, I'm sure as many people are mm-hmm. really missing being in the lab, mm-hmm. and I just like, can't wait to get my hands on things again until oh, yeah. i actually i don't know make things happen with my physical hands it's not the same reading and writing and things like that so
2: yeah yeah no it's definitely a hard time i think i guess the silver lining is really allows us to think about not just to you know when i was a graduate student i would be just working like i don't know 12 14 hours a day but mm-hmm. this is a nice time to actually uh, you know slow down a little bit and think about what are the important problems and how we can address them right so, i guess yeah, that's definitely. the but I think it's been too long. So I've thought, (laughs) I've I've been thinking that long enough.
1: (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) definitely.
2: So
0: throughout your journey in the chemistry field thus far, how has your experience been in these different labs that you mentioned both to chemistry and to queerness?
2: Yeah, um, you know, it's a good question, you know, um, I think I have to say, I've I've had the fortune to really work with uh, a lot of very talented, but also just like genuinely nice and supportive people in my mm-hmm. career. Um, starting from my you know my advisors, my PhD and postdoc advisors, mm-hmm. you know Jacobson and, and Chris Chang, um, and to the live mates and th- friends I've had uh, during graduate school and, and postdoc. So in terms of chemistry wise, I think you know I, I mentioned I was trained as an organic chemist. And uh, so I decided to, when I applied for postdoc, I decided to switch fields and so decided to actually do some inorganic you know, chemistry and electrocatalysis. It was definitely really challenging in the beginning. Um I think the challenges are that you know I've I've been trained for five years, and actually even longer, I was I was doing organic chemistry as a as an undergrad on how to you know run reactions and isolate products and run columns. But then all of a sudden I started to do uh heterogeneous catalysis and electrochemistry, voltammetry, things like that. And that was really challenging in the beginning, I had to basically learn everything from a second year graduate student as a postdoc. But I think after you get through that sort of a really steep learning curve, uh, it's actually a really great experience. And definitely something I would recommend that people do if you want to, especially if you want to go to academia. But even if you want to go to other different sectors of job opportunities, I think learning more, equip yourself with more different types of expertise is is very important. And uh, so yeah, I'm, i think I'm really fortunate that that I did that made that transition, and now you know what we're doing in our lab is really to try and you know marry these two different areas of research that i've I've been trained in and do some you know electric catalysis for organics organic synthesis. so I think i I've, I've definitely benefited uh, from from this this experience academic experience. um in terms of you know sort of aquariness, um I think it's also, it's, a, it's an interesting experience for me as well. I think I, I came out uh, relatively late. Um, so it's sort of towards the, the end of graduate school. So, you know, part of that is because, you know, I grew up in China, which is, I think, in terms of awareness of LGBTQ uh, plus, um, it's definitely a little bit behind the US. So I think for the first few years, first of all, you know, I wasn't really, you know, I was growing up in China, so I wasn't aware of this sort of uh, this sort of things. But also I was mm-hmm. really focused on on just studying chemistry and, and, you know, learning uh, but I think toward the end of graduate school I started to gradually realize you know uh, who I am and I start to sort of come out to uh, come out to some of my really close friends um, it was definitely a really challenging time um, and most of that is not because the friends are not supportive but rather you know I want to make sure that I, I only talk to people who I trust and it turns out that you know, I started to talk to people my some of my most close friends and people are very supportive um, I found that actually really uh, sort of uh, uh, comforting to start to talk more and you know when people start to ask questions that's when i start to be, be able to open more and be really be uh myself so yeah and then you know when i moved to berkeley you know i had to go through sort of a coming out process one more time but it become a lot easier and uh i think again the fact that you know, first of all i think it's you know i was lucky that i guess the bay area is a very sort of a open-minded liberal area but also The fact that the friends, my lab mates, and my advisor um, were very supportive—that was definitely really helpful.
1: Yeah, definitely. We've talked about a little bit on the show. One of the—I think it it can be a struggle, but I think it—it can also be a really like big confidence-building experience. But the fact that we, as LGBTQ people, do have to come out so many times in Mm -hmm. our career, in our social life, and. Um, especially if you want to kind of feel seen and validated and respected and feeling like you can really show up to work as your full self and you don't have to kind of like hide this part of yourself, mm-hmm. that can be really challenging and really scary. I think like I was really fortunate enough that I had a really positive coming out process when I was in undergrad, but then like moving to graduate school, even though I knew that university of Michigan is a really accepting place, that was still like kind of terrifying to like, cause you don't know how people will take it and you don't know, like hopefully people mm-hmm. will be really respectful and understanding, but there's always like that, oh, this could potentially go really badly and we don't know. <laughs> so. yeah.
2: yeah, yeah, no, that's the fear I had as well. I just had no idea how people would respond to it. Like I said, I think I've been fortunate. I'm sure a lot of people who have had bad experience with this but you know I I haven't really had that experience and then some of my friends would actually come to me and tell them how supportive they are uh, to this to my decision to come out and so that's definitely really awesome.
1: That's amazing so switching topics a little bit why did you decide to go into academia and teaching and what do you love most about it?
2: Yeah so I think I I think I always say, I always wanted to be a professor. I think when I was, even when I was a little, I wanted to be a, not necessarily a professor, but, but be a teacher, um, I sort of influenced by, you know, my mother is a, I guess is a retired now, retired elementary school teacher. And uh, when I was in college, I also really was pretty excited about this idea of doing research as well as teaching. And so sort of influenced by my undergrad advisor as well. So. The fact that I, the reason why I applied to graduate school in the U.S. is because I want to expose myself to essentially some of the strongest sort of training opportunities to in chemistry, um, so I can be best prepared to to be a professor in the future. I think, you know, the most, I think, I think tantalizing thing about being a professor is really the, the academic freedom, right? So you can essentially pursue any uh, interesting chemistry problems you want. And, uh, uh, you know, it's almost like a running, you're running your own sort of startup company, right? You're, you know, getting funding to to fund these sort of ideas that you're really excited about. Um, but also another part of that is, is to work with some of the most talented young people, uh, young minds. You know, I'm, I've been fortunate to have a group of really great graduate students and postdocs to work with. And I think just being able to see them grow is definitely another, I would say, potentially even more satisfying than getting reactions to work. Um, but... I mean, I think I've had, a, you know, I've you know, ended my fourth year this year, and I, I started to see how some of my early graduate students have become a lot more independent, but also being able to come up with really creative ideas. And that's that's something that, that makes, you know, makes it a really satisfying job.
1: So um, kind of going along with that, how do you use your role as a PI and professor? To support LGBTQ and other underrepresented minorities who may be undergrads or graduate students in your department or even in your lab?
2: Sure. Um, I think, you know, one thing when I start to come out to the sort of the community and to my friends, um, you know, what I like is people really don't treat me any differently. So I think that's what I want to do as well is, you know, I actually have had a, a couple of students who I know are a part of the LGBTQ plus community. And uh, I have some other sort of uh, students from different types of underrepresented minority groups. I think the key is to not treat them any differently, right? So giving them the same training, the same education, and talk about chemistry the same way. But I think it's also important at the same time to try and understand that the sort of the challenges that they might face, just because they are part of sort of a a underrepresented minority group. I think that's really important and, you know, be be flexible and be open-minded and uh, be open to to talking to them when they have issues. I think that's definitely an important part. Yeah, I think I'm still learning how to how to do it, but I think just having the, the mindset and the care about this issue is, is very important. I don't know if you guys have any experience in terms of how you've been treated that you felt like, oh, this is actually, this is really welcoming and I really like this type of mentorship.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think um, I, I can give like a small example of like when mm-hmm. I started this podcast, um, I had just begun my Rotation in Corey Stevenson's lab, and I actually ended up joining his lab officially. But he has been like really supportive and mm-hmm. like kind about like asking about like how it's going. And he knows that this is like something that's important to me that I care about. That's outside of maybe like everyday research um, and responsibilities that come with being in graduate school, which I think has like definitely meant a lot to me. Just like knowing that I have like a PI that supports like all of my endeavors and everything. But yeah. I think if if we had a queer chemistry faculty member at University of Michigan, I feel like Geraldo and I would be like very, very close with them mm-hmm. at this point. Um, yeah. Unfortunately, we don't. But I think that's okay. That just makes it all more exciting for us whenever we meet like LGBTQ professors, yeah. like talking to Teshik and talking with you is like really exciting for us.
2: That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, Corey actually mentioned to me this opportunity to speak with you guys. So yeah, I know he's very supportive of this, this idea. And I think it's a great idea too. I and mean, I think supporting something like this is, is important to, you know, I don't think this is probably one of the first I've heard at least in the chemistry community. So I think it's, it's a great mm-hmm. idea. You guys have been doing a really good job. So thank you. Thank you. Yeah.
0: yeah. And you also mentioned something
2: very, very important
0: that I've been thinking about lately. And is that sometimes I've heard comments saying that um, minorities want privileges and minorities want like to be seen more than other people. And we just want to be treated equally as everybody else. We just want to be, you know, trained, like you said, we just want to be teach. We just want to be treated equally. We just don't want to be seen different from right. the majority of the people.
2: Exactly, yeah. I think, you know, part of that is because we want to be acknowledged, right? So we want people to know that we are also part of the community. Mm-hmm. Um, that maybe maybe the reason why people think that we desire sort of the attention. But I don't think that's... Yeah, I think I absolutely agree with you. Yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah I think that, like, wanting more attention can like comes from just kind of wanting to be seen Mm -hmm. and when you feel seen and when you like can look at other people who have gone through similar experiences like you and they're succeeding or when you even just like having a cis straight white man as a PI even just like acknowledge that like your experiences are different and that your experiences are valid and like that can mean a lot and Like, having that slight recognition can, I think, like, we've talked about this on the podcast before, like, Mm -hmm. it can mean that, like, you can show up to work and be a better scientist when you Mm -hmm. feel you're respected in your workplace.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree.
0: So, as an LGBTQ plus chemistry professor, have you felt supported by the chemistry department at Cornell University?
2: Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's a, it's a really supportive department. You know, I told m- my colleagues about this uh, situation, you know, with my husband uh, pretty early on, because, you know, during the negotiation process, mm-hmm. we also want to make sure that uh, we have uh, not just, you know, a great working environment, but also a nice life here. And so I don't think anyone, again, I don't think anyone treated us any differently. So um, I think that's that's been very, very helpful to us.
1: Okay. Yeah.
2: Right. So in terms of the chemistry field, I think uh, it's also been very, you know, if, I am not completely open to or out to I guess general field. Um, mm-hmm. but I also don't you know whenever I talk about if some personal issues come up in a conversation with some enduring you know, conference or with uh, people academic people who i am I know well, i don't uh, I don't hide it. Um, mm-hmm. So it's funny, I think the most common way of this coming up in the in conversation is people ask you, oh, you know, uh, how's your wife doing, or you know, what does she do, or things like that? And mm-hmm. I just, you know, I just answer, you know, my husband does this or so on. And uh, I think, I mean, I think you'd be surprised how normal that people react to that answer, right? I mean, some people might just might apologize, some people don't, and that's totally fine with me. And most people will just carry on the conversation. So nice. I think generally, obviously, in the ideal world, you want people to ask not just your wife, but you know, husband or right. anyone mm-hmm. else, your partner, Partnered, yeah. But yeah, I think it's, I mean, it's definitely still a work in progress, right? I think, I think the fact that people at least don't overreact to to my answer, I think it's definitely a great progress. Right, right.
1: Yeah. yeah. Do you have um, a good community of LGBTQ professionals that are in your life that are either in or outside of chemistry? I'm always curious about that. Like, I think that it's really important for us as graduate students to have that type of community and support. So I wonder how that is as a professor.
2: Yeah so uh you know it, it would be great if there there is one um I don't think there is one maybe I'm I'm not aware of that but uh I think you know one thing I I know of is uh I think ACS they organize you know events for mm-hmm. yeah uh, both professors and students so um I know uh, they have sort of a, a LGBTQ plus symposium for mm-hmm. graduate students as well as professors. So I think yes. that's a really nice uh, community. I mean, I think even though it only meets like I think once a year or maybe twice a year, once a year it's, a yeah. really, it's a really good starting point. Yeah,
1: definitely. Yeah, definitely.
2: I think there are, you know, many universities I've been to in Cornell, we have either sort of women in chemistry or women in science. You know, that's a really good, I think, a starting point for people to start to think about how we can build communities on Mm -hmm. campus for these different types of, I think, groups of people who are underrepresented in science. Um, So hopefully, hopefully we'll have something for LGBTQ in the future as well.
1: Yeah, definitely. definitely.
2: So how do you think academic spaces can better support
0: LGBTQ plus um, professors in terms of policies and, and practices?
2: Yeah, um, in terms of practices, I think you know we, may, we talk about this conference that ACS organizes. Mm-hmm. I think that's that's awesome because it really provides people with a safe environment to meet people in the same uh, group, same community, to express yourselves to to talk to people about your issues or your challenges, um, and also just you know just to know that you're not alone, right? I think that's really important. So I, I, you know, I hope that we can start to do more and more of these sort of type of conferences or, or symposium, or even just gatherings at different conferences. I think that'll be really, really helpful. In terms of policies, uh, I'm not sure. You know, I guess I'm not just still assistant professor. I'm learning about all these things, but I think mm-hmm. if uh, you know funding agencies or ACSD's foundation, will start to have policies to to specifically support LGBTQ plus um, groups. I think that will be really, really mm-hmm. great. Um, I don't know what kind of specific policies. Um, I don't want to come up with any because I don't know. Maybe people say that. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> no, that's
1: okay. That's okay. <laughs> we acknowledge that everyone has different experiences and different right. knowledge and understanding of all of these multifaceted parts of being LGBTQ. So, Right, important.
2: right. Yeah. No, I think starting from conferences, and symposia and gatherings, that's a great starting point, right? Mm-hmm. Just to, yeah. Just to have the community together. Um, I think, I also think this is a, as I mentioned earlier, this is a really good idea to expose people to the academics, uh, the professors, but also just the the students, the graduate students and postdocs
0: mm-hmm. for yeah. this
2: community, right, and uh, listen to their experience and to, I'm sure in some, when you listen to some of the stories, you're going to feel resonated and uh, I think yeah. that's, that's awesome.
1: Definitely. Yeah. Geraldo and I have thoroughly enjoyed this process so mm-hmm. far. How long have really you been doing fun. this? we started in January, February. February? Yeah.
2: Yeah.
1: Okay. This this is going to be our 15th episode. Oh wow. Mm -hmm. Okay. So yeah. And we still have like a long list of people who have reached out to us about being interviewed. And then we have like our dream list of people that we hope to interview someday and things Mm -hmm. like that. So yeah.
2: Yeah. Looking forward to it.
1: Yeah. So can you tell us a little bit about your group's outreach activities and why it's important to deliver the importance of science to the communities that you're in?
2: Yeah, we have a several different types of uh, uh, outreach activities we do every year. Um, so. We're part of a, a group called the, the Cornell Center for Materials Research, and uh, they actually organize some really nice outreach activities, both on campus as well as off campus. And so one thing we've been doing every year is either myself or my some of my graduate students or, or both will go to uh, New York City, and so we'll go to uh, the Harlem uh, Promise Academy. So we'll actually teach a lecture on uh, chemistry, chemical reactions, or electrochemistry, to uh, high school and middle middle school students, um, so it's actually specifically targeting. I think that Harlem uh, Academy um, Promise Academy is specifically targeting sort of underrepresented minorities. Um, it's just really fascinating to interact. You know, to be honest, I've, I had never had experience um, teaching uh, middle school and, and high school students, <laughs> but they're actually a lot. they I mean, I wouldn't say they're a lot more fun than undergrads, but at least they're they have <laughs> they're, they have a lot more curiosity, right? Yeah, yeah. definitely about science. So that's really exciting. And uh, I think what we also we also have this, I think it's actually a collaborative effort with Columbia's sort of a counterpart. And we have this joint teacher workshop, which I think is also important, not just to reach out to the students, but also Mm -hmm. to educate the teachers about the importance of science, right? Because they're going to be the people who are going to interact with the students on a daily basis. So that workshop is a really nice, nice event that uh, uh, CCMR uh, organizes. So we also have a lot of uh, on-campus events. Uh, so every summer we have this event organized by, again, the Cornell uh, sort of a organization it's called Upward Bound. So this is actually for, uh, again, middle school students, but they're more in local area. They are, a lot of them are underrepresented minorities as well. Uh, but also I think some of them are from, uh, so upstate New York has a, Pretty large population of indigenous people, so we have uh, those people being part of this sort of uh, the the students we invite to campus as well. And we've demonstrated, we're given them lectures on electrochemistry, you know, whatever concepts about electrochemistry, as well as as well as doing some demonstrations. So that's been really fun as well. Um, I wish we do doing more, but that's sort of a an annual annual event. Um, yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I think it's really, I think you asked about the importance, mm-hmm. you know, I think it's, it's, it's important. I wish we do more. And, uh, I think the fact that I wish when I was, you know, when I, I start to be interested in science, when I was a kid, when I watched cartoons, right. You know, mm-hmm. there's some of these like, sort of crazy chemists who makes like different color liquids and, and it turns into a different color or explodes ex, or something. Mm-hmm. And you know, I wish I, I've been able to see that in person, but also be able to do hands-on experiments. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think these would definitely encourage people to to not necessarily become scientists in the future, but at least be aware of of science. And that's obviously very important. It becomes increasingly important uh, these days. So yeah. um, And also to expose people, I think the most important way to support, um, or in my opinion, to support under, underrepresented minorities is to Gave them the equal opportunity right and i think mm-hmm. a lot of them are because of their sort of groups they they have difficult social socio economic um sort of status in their family so just giving them the opportunity to to learn to to know things um like science that's that's uh that's going to be um, i think critical yeah.
1: yeah definitely definitely
2: it's really interesting that professors
0: also take part of this because we usually see undergrads or grad students being the one who to like do most of these outreach events, but having professors is also very very good.
1: Yeah,
2: I think so. Yeah, I mean I think it's important to have professors, but also have students as well. I think mm-hmm. students are closer in age. Um, yeah, that's true. And they probably yeah. know better than me as well. <laughs> uh, I mean, far too like removed from uh, sort of primary education. But professors I agree with you. Having professors is important too. First mm-hmm. of all, you set a sort of a role example for your graduate students and show them that you also care but also i'm sure these middle school and high school kids would want to know how a professor looks
1: right yeah
2: Yeah. this look um, how they talk and how they teach so
1: right definitely especially if like you're only exposed to like one certain type of scientist your entire life and then that just like, I don't know, I think that affects like how close-minded you are or or if you're like not able to see yourself in other mm-hmm. scientists, that's yes. equally as important.
2: Right, right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, hopefully, you know, these people will see some of us, you know, my students or myself as role models and be like, oh, yeah, mm-hmm. I, I want to do that. I want to be like that in the future.
1: Yeah, definitely. So ideally, all PIs would do this sort of outreach and stuff, but... Um, I'm sure that maybe there are research groups and PIs out there who don't participate in this these type of activities. So what advice would you give to those groups for kind of making the most of how to um, positively impact the community that you're in?
2: Yeah, I'm not sure i mean, the best place to give advice to anyone. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, like I said, I'm not, I'm not sure if I'm doing enough, to be honest. Um, but I think um, part of being a professor is that I think I might mention earlier is you like teaching as well. You like educating your students. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, I think that just keeping that passion is important. Um, Research is definitely very important, but also Mm -hmm. being able to see people grow. Uh, You know, I think one thing I've learned from my past advisors is that they don't just care about the research, the papers they publish. I think their most, uh, you know, products, so-called products are their students. And so this, I mean, this is obviously, you know, includes the students that they that have worked in a lab a lot, as well as the students they've teach, they've taught, mm-hmm. and they've had outreach events with in, in the past. So um, yeah, I don't, I'm not sure if I have any advice, but I would say just, you know, obviously there are, you know, funding agencies support, uh, you know, supports that. And that obviously make it more, make it more people, more and more people aware of this sort of outreach, the importance of outreach, but, I think just generally talking about it. I'm glad mm-hmm. that we're talking about it in this podcast yeah. and, um, advertising to the next generation chemists. I think that's, you know, maybe there aren't that enough people doing this now, but hopefully in 20 and 30 years, or maybe, maybe not that long, 10, 10 years, <laughs> when you guys become professors and educators, <laughs> a you will little. be a lot more <laughs> aware of, of this outreach events and how important they are. Right? Definitely. Sure.
0: Yeah. So, What what piece of advice can you give young chemists who are currently in graduate school and are interested in pursuing a career in academia?
2: Yeah, um, that's a good question. I would say just follow your your heart. You know, academia is at least to some people it's a really it's a great job, um, but it's also challenging as well. Mm -hmm. You know, I think the advice I give people always is you know I'm a see myself as a physical organic chemist, so I tell them, you know, there's always going to be challenges. Become an academic is challenging you know, coming out to to your friends is challenging, the community is challenging, but you just have to look at it as, you know, it's like an energy barrier, a reaction, right? You know, whenever a reaction happens, it has to go through, go up first before it goes down. So I think just trying trying to see whether this is something that that's going to really excite you, right? Not just because everyone else is doing, but something that, you know, after you get through the hurdle, you're going to get to a, a thermodynamically more stable state, right? Something <laughs> that will it'll keep you up at night and excites you every day. So I think that's important is to figure out you know, what you're really excited about doing, but don't worry too much about the kinetics, the challenges that, that you might face.
1: Yeah, you know. that's so, a great metaphor. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so in, in
0: your experience or experience of other people that you may know, would you say that there's a difference in the type of postdoc that you do if you're gonna pursue an academia? And what I mean by this is you know, there's some postdoc positions that look for an expert in a certain area of chemistry and then you go work in that lab and do the experiments that you, you know, know from your PhD, or like in your case that you did a postdoc in something in a different area of chemistry mm-hmm. to learn new skills. Would you say there's a difference in the outcome of, of doing that?
2: So let me just repeat it so I understand. So you're talking about whether the choice of research area as a postdoc is important mm-hmm. to, okay. Um, I, I think it is important. Um, you know, I think again, it depends on what you're really interested in. I do. I, I give. I think the advice I would give people, and the advice I got from my advisors, is try and do your postdoc in a slightly different area, at least slightly different area, uh, so you acquire different expertise. Um, but again, this really depends on what you're interested in doing as well, right? You don't want to force yourself to go into something that you don't want to do just so, just because it's different. So. You know, one thing you want to think about when you're a senior graduate student is if you want to become an academic, think about what general directions you want to do. So do I want to go into organic synthesis, chemical biology, and what kind of problems that I want to address as an independent researcher? And that will sort of uh, influence the decision you make in terms of which lab you want to join um, as a postdoc to. Does that answer your question? Yeah. Okay, great.
1: Yeah, definitely. So this question is one of my favorites to ask because I love seeing like the different answers that people give. Who is your biggest role model in chemistry and why? And you can give multiple answers because I know it's a hard question.
2: <laughs> I can't give multiple answers?
1: You can, you can.
2: Oh, I can. Okay, good. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know. I mean, I think it really depends on what aspects of, of care, chemistry and what aspects of career. I think in terms of chemistry research, as I mentioned, I think my postdoc and PhD advisors are my biggest role models because I've learned so much from them. I see them, you know, the way how they uh, approach chemistry questions. Um, and it really changed the way how I think about chemistry as well. I think you know, for Eric Jacobson, he thinks about problems very deeply. He cares very much about reaction mechanism, not just you know running reactions and doing synthesis, but rather how things work. And that really affected me a lot, right? That's basically how the way, how I approach problems these days. And uh, you know Chris is very creative, and uh, he thinks about problems very, also very deeply. But also he thinks how think about how we can introduce a new, not just do the traditional sort of synthesis or catalysis, but how we can introduce a different concept from a different area and use that creatively to promote our research in our own area. And that's part of the reason why I decided to do electrochemistry for synthesis, is that you know, you know he, he thinks very much out of the box. Um, so I think of they're my role model. But also I mean I'd, another reason why. Uh, their role model is because I see not only see how they succeed but I see sometimes they struggle too right I mean they're not and they're great PIs but they're I don't think anyone is perfect so sometimes I see people complaining about them I see things that they don't do necessarily correctly the first time and then they correct it and do it differently in the future and I think that also makes it more you know just seeing how how to be a PI and the challenges to of being a PI that makes them even better role models than those who i only know how awesome they are i think and uh, i think in terms of you know being since this show is regarding sort of a, a lgbtq plus um and uh you know people who are out there and doing awesome chemistry and great role models like you know carolyn bortozzi uh, tashi Hoon, and many others actually um just name, name a few uh, they're great and i think just being out there and being awesome being thems- you know themselves that's Something I want to do. I don't think I'm there yet, but I think um, I'm definitely looking up to these people.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think those two that you mentioned are definitely big role models for us as well.
2: Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So yeah, hopefully that's a that's a good answer to you. I think <laughs> it <interesting> is an answer.
0: <laughs>
1: no, no, it's a good. Yeah, great, great answer.
2: So last question: Where can people find you on social media? Uh, you know, I don't use it very much. <laughs> I do have a, I have a Twitter account. Mm-hmm. Um, my lab has a Twitter account as well. Um, so I actually don't remember the handle. I think it might be something like Songlin Cam. Cam. Uh, that's my handle. That's something that's very generic, not very creative. Um, but I'll be happy to share my, you know, my social media accounts. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not, like I said, I'm not super active, but I am I check my Twitter account once in a while just to see what's going on. Yeah. Try, try, yeah. To, try to keep up with literature. and what else is going on in the world so
1: definitely awesome well i think that was all we had oh great thank you so much
2: yeah, for this
1: amazing conversation
2: no this is really enjoyable i mean to be honest I, I know i've listened to a few episodes i know it's very fun but i didn't realize it's actually so much more fun to, to chat so. <laughs> yeah
1: <laughs> good well we're glad that you enjoyed yourself as well And hopefully we will get to meet in person at some point. Yeah, Yeah, hopefully. I know.
2: Yeah, we're supposed to I think all of you at least told me that we're supposed to meet at the symposium, right? Yeah, (laughs) I was
1: supposed to present at the LGBTQ symposium. So hopefully next year or some other time. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Definitely. All right.
1: Well, it was great talking.
2: Well, thank you so much. Yeah. Really nice meeting you guys virtually. Stay safe.
1: Yeah, you too. Bye.
2: Bye.
0: Bye. If you're interested in participating in the STEM Village Symposium that will be held virtually in August, then you should submit your abstracts by June 1st. You can find more information about this on our Twitter.
1: You can also apply to Noggle Steps Out to Innovate Scholarship. These scholarships are intended for undergraduate and graduate students pursuing degrees in science, technology, engineering, or math programs who are either lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, or an active ally of the LGBTQ+ community. Applications are due Saturday, June 9th. You can find more information about the application process on Noggle Steps' website. And as always, remember to fill out the nomination form on our Twitter if you're interested in being interviewed for the show. You can follow us at pod. Take care, everybody, and stay safe. We'll see you all next week.
0: Bye! Adios! <laughs>